Welcome to this Jeremy Bamber and White House Farm podcast season two. In this episode, we set out the different important factors of Jeremy's sentence. As you may know, Jeremy is classified as a whole life term prisoner. One of the few who is deemed so dangerous that he'll never see freedom. Jeremy's imprisoned under this classification with individuals such as Peter Tobin and Levi Belfield. The judge, Mr Justice Drake, imposed five life sentences on Jeremy, making the recommendation that he should serve a minimum of 25 years. The Lord Chief Justice at the time, Baron Geoffrey Lane, was also involved in the process of recommendation to the Home Secretary and stated, I agree with the trial judge, adding, for my part, I would never release him. The handwritten addition to this document made by the Lord Chief Justice was only his personal opinion and did not mean that the sentence should be any other than that set by the judge. In fact, it was simply formal confirmation that he agreed with the 25-year sentence set by Justice Drake. The whole life tariff as a sentence available to a judge did not exist in 1986 but was introduced some years after the death penalty was abolished, following public pressure, and we delve into when and how the sentence was introduced. Jeremy Bamber's sentence was changed to that of a whole life term, not by a judge in a court of law, but by a politician. We explain how this was possible and changes in the law which then enforced that only a judge could impose a sentence. We discuss the timeline of challenges Jeremy's made against his whole life tariff and how he maintains that he's not a whole life tariff prisoner and the reasons for this. Although Jeremy has challenged his sentence previously, we believe that there had been a serious misinterpretation of the rules surrounding retrospective sentencing, similar to the serious errors in the interpretation of the law by the courts that have taken place regarding joint enterprise cases Prior to the abolition of capital punishment on the 15th of October 1964, people convicted of the most heinous crimes would have a death penalty imposed on them if they were found guilty. At the time, there was no option of a majority verdict and death penalty cases were decided on unanimous verdicts only. On the 28th of October 1965, a private member's bill to suspend the death penalty received royal assent and... On the 9th of November 1965, the abolition of the Death Penalty Act suspended the death penalty for murder in the United Kingdom for a period of five years. The last death sentence was passed on the 1st of November 1965. It then wasn't until November 1983 that the Home Secretary of the day, Leon Britton, addressed the debate in the House of Commons. This debate was held as a result of public concerns regarding the length of sentences of perpetrators of the most serious crimes and the real concerns regarding the steady rise of violent crime. Britain stated, Taking account again of the public concern about violent crime, in future I intend to exercise my discretion so that murderers of police or prison officers, terrorist murderers, sexual or sadistic murderers of children and murderers by firearm in the course of robbery can normally expect to serve at least 20 years in custody and there will be cases where the gravity of the offence requires a still longer period. Other murders outside these categories may merit no less punishment to mark the seriousness of the offence. 
Britain stated that he was going to introduce a tariff system for prisoners serving mandatory life sentences and that ministers will review every case when a life sentence prisoner has been detained for 10 years. This system of mandatory life sentencing involved the setting of a term by the serving Home Secretary, which had to be served before the prisoner's release could even be considered. By 1988, the new Home Secretary, Douglas Hurd, began to impose whole life tariffs and thereby created a category of prisoners who were never to be released. This system included retrospectively changing the sentence of prisoners whose tariff had been recommended by the trial judge, who he considered the most dangerous they should never be released. Jeremy Bamber was one of those prisoners whose tariff supposedly was changed retrospectively and in secret in 1988. And why do we say supposedly? It's because Jeremy's whole life sentence has been a misinterpretation of information which we will discuss shortly. It was not until 1994, eight years into his 25-year term, that Jeremy was told for the first time that his sentence had been changed by politicians. At the time, Jeremy was in Long Latin prison located in Worcestershire. Just before Christmas, Jeremy Bamber was summoned into the psychology office where the governor, deputy governor, three psychologists, the probation office representative and two prison officers were waiting. Jeremy was told the news that it had been ruled he was never to be released. The officials who were present told Jeremy that they'd never had to tell anyone this kind of devastating news before and that it concerned them that they had to give him news that he'd die in jail. They assured Jeremy they'd do their best to support him. However, after receiving this devastating news, Jeremy said no care plan was actually put into place and the support amounted to being allowed to use the phone in the office for the next week whenever he needed to speak to his legal advisers and friends. A few days later, on the 15th of December 1994, Jeremy received a letter from the Home Office which said, The Secretary of State of the day gave careful consideration to the facts of the case, the nature of the offence in question and the comments in the judiciary. In the light of this consideration, he decided that the requirements of retribution and deterrence could be satisfied only by you remaining in prison for the whole of your life. He commented, this seems to me to be a whole life case, i.e. he should never be released. From yours sincerely, Chris Barnett, Page Life Section. This sentence is written in an ambiguous manner. It doesn't state that Douglas Hurd actually increased Jeremy's sentence and it was simply a personal opinion and was not a resentencing document. However, the authorities interpreted it that Jeremy was now a whole-life tariff prisoner, even though Jeremy has never received any documentation confirming the increase to his sentence in a formal and correct manner. Until the meeting in 1994 in the Governor's office, Jeremy had been unaware that his sentence had been upgraded by the government retrospectively and in secret. In 1994, those who had been set a mandatory life sentence simultaneously sought a judicial review against their sentences. This was on the grounds of procedural unfairness of the Home Secretary's decision in setting the tariff period they must serve before being considered for parole. As a result of this, the court made a ruling that prisoners must be informed of the factors which had been taken into account when setting their tariff. The court also specified that the reasoning behind the sentencing decision 
must also be disclosed to the convicted. This should include reasons for imposing a sentence other than the one that had been recommended by the individual trial judges. This meant that prisoners must now be informed of the minimum length of time they must serve in jail before any possible parole hearings could be considered. Further challenges regarding issues that needed addressing surrounding the whole life tariff were then made. One of the important rulings occurred in 1998 when a judicial review concerning the case of Thompson and Venables was made. Thompson and Venables had been convicted for the abduction, torture and murder of a two-year-old, Jamie Bolger, who they kidnapped from the Strand Shopping Centre in Bootle, Merseyside, on the 12th of February 1993. The legal teams for the two ten-year-olds challenged the sentencing and the judicial review into their case stated, Although the Home Secretary was entitled to take into account considerations of a public character, he must distinguish between legitimate public concern and mere public clamour. This means that the Home Secretary, who was allowed to make sentencing decisions at the time, should not act in a way motivated by political interests, by making decisions based purely on public opinion. Obviously, should the Home Secretary be swayed by the public, it could be seen as an attempt to secure public votes. In 1999, Jeremy was now serving his sentence in Whitemore Prison in Cambridgeshire. It was at this time that the prison authorities were deciding how they would deal with whole life tariff prisoners. The decisions that were being made included whether whole life tariff men should be placed together on one wing and what whole life tariff prisoners would specifically require in comparison with other prisoners. Jeremy was the first to be called into a meeting in the governor's office to discuss the decisions that had been made when a senior prison officer from the head office said to him, I'm not quite sure how to broach this, but what kind of coffin would you like? And explained that this was something that had to be asked. Jeremy was only 38 at the time and was understandably shocked that the prison service had asked this. On the 16th of May 2008, Richard Horwell QC with Luke Hindmarsh serving as his junior appealed to the High Court for a review of Jeremy's whole life sentence. This submission was originally assigned to be presented by Edmund Lawson QC, but sadly he died of a brain hemorrhage and his colleague Richard Horwell agreed to take the representations. This was now funded by legal aid as opposed to the pro bono work offered by Ed Lawson and as such impacted how Jeremy could be represented. And we will discuss the legal aid myths and facts in a future episode. Horwell's application, though, was not a singular submission to the courts as the majority of the whole life tariff prisoners at the time, including Myra Hindley, Arthur Hutchinson and Peter Coonan, formerly known as Peter Sutcliffe, also applied for a review. The appeals were conducted within weeks of each other. Jeremy's representations were put before the judge, Mr Tugendhat. In addition to the representations made by Horwell, victim impact statements were obtained from the Bamba estate beneficiaries, Pamela Beauflower, David Beauflower, his wife Karen and Anne Eaton, and presented to the judge. It's unknown what was written in these statements, and they've never been disclosed to the defence. Horwell requested that the circumstances surrounding Jeremy's case warranted an oral hearing, but this was refused by Tugendhat, who wrote, In considering the seriousness of the offences, I am required to have regard to the general principles set out in Schedule 21 to that Act, and to the recommendations made by the trial judge and the Lord Chief Justice as to the minimum term to be served by the applicant before release on licence. Paragraph 4 of Schedule 21 
of the Criminal Justice Act 2003 provides that if the court considers that the seriousness of the offences is exceptionally high, the appropriate starting point is a whole life order. Cases that would normally fall within this category are set out and include those where the murder is of two or more persons, where each murder involved premeditation. This case plainly falls within that category. We must remember here that the trial judge determined Jeremy's sentence should be set at 25 years, a fact agreed and supported by the Lord Chief Justice at the time. Tugendhat went on to confirm, there's no indication that the applicant suffers from a mental illness. The reports available at the trial were limited by the unwillingness of the applicant to submit to medical examination. But the effect of the reports was that he was not suffering from a mental illness. This is a fact which is supported time and again in psychological assessments that have been made since Jeremy's conviction. The vital section of the ruling made by Lord Tugendhat stated, In my judgment there is no reason for me to depart from the view of the Home Secretary and the Lord Chief Justice in this case. These murders were exceptionally serious. In my judgment, you ought to spend the whole of the rest of your life in prison, and so I order. I order that the early release provisions are not to apply to the applicant. This paragraph is key, and we'll explain why. As we stated earlier, Lord Lane, the Lord Chief Justice in 1986, agreed that Jeremy's sentence should be, as was set by Justice Drake, namely 25 years. Lord Lane's handwritten comment, which stated, I agree with the trial judge. As you may recall, we earlier outlined that in 1994, Douglas Hurd stated in a letter to Jeremy, this seems to me to be a whole life case. No documentation exists or has ever been disclosed, which, which sets out that Jeremy Bamba has a whole life sentence. Until the judgment passed by Justice Tugendhat in 2008, who set the sentence at that time, Repeated requests have been made by Jeremy Bamba as recently as 2020 for this documentation and yet still nothing has been disclosed. Not only is it completely unfair to impose a whole life sentence to a man who was by this stage 22 years into a 25 years sentence, it is also illegal. Section 7 of the Human Rights Act states, No one shall be held guilty of any criminal offence on account of any act or omission which did not constitute a criminal offence under national or international law at the time when it was committed, nor shall a heavier penalty be imposed than the one that was applicable at the time the criminal offence was committed. The last sentence is key, as whole life tariffs were not a sentencing option in 1986. Further, the Sentencing Council UK are specific in that it is a general legal principle that the law should not be applied retrospectively, so that people are able to know the penalty for an offence. Society and as a result the law changes so it would be entirely unfair to, for example, ban smoking in cars, then prosecute those who did it before it became illegal. Therefore, by taking the stipulations set out in the Human Rights Act into account, as well as the comments made by the Sentencing Council, Jeremy Bamber should never have been given a whole life order. This aside, there are even more issues surrounding Jeremy's sentence, in particular with regards to his parole hearings. The rules regarding parole stated that no prisoner would serve more than 17 years in prison before receiving a parole hearing. In Jeremy's case, this was set out in a letter in December 1994 he received from Chris Barnett of the Home Office Lifer section. 
which states, Under these new arrangements, life-sentence prisoners with whole-life tariffs will no longer have their cases reviewed by the parole board, except where such a review has already been fixed. In your case, the parole board review scheduled for September 2002 will go ahead. In September 2002, Jeremy received a further letter which outlined that the Secretary of State said that the rule changes were not retrospective and Jeremy would have his first parole interview on the 4th of October and continued that arrangements have been made for your parole interview to take place on the 4th of October 2002 at 2 o'clock with Brenda Large, a parole board member. The proposed hearing was due to take place within weeks of the commencement of the 2002 appeal hearing. Jeremy explained to us how he felt upon receiving this letter. It seemed to me as if, at long last, the system was seeing sense and that everyone knew I hadn't murdered my family. This, I believe, was going to be proven very soon at the appeal hearing. It seemed reasonable that I would be released on parole pending my conviction being quashed in the coming weeks. This would have meant I could attend court as a free man, so my hopes were up that I would get parole. However, the hearing never happened. Jeremy received advice that this was because he was due to attend the appeal court within weeks and as such the parole board would wait for the outcome before deciding what would happen with this case and parole issues. Jeremy was advised that new rules would begin to apply to his case and the Secretary of State would review his parole at 25 years, then every five years after that. Shortly before the 25-year point, the rules changed yet again, quite wrongly, according to the Grand Chamber of European Court of Human Rights. The Criminal Justice Act 2003 reformed the law in England and Wales and removed all reviews from mandatory life sentences that had been upgraded to discretionary whole-life orders. David Blunkett, the Home Secretary for the Labour government at the time, compiled the Act and in doing so withdrew the powers previously held by the Secretary of State to apply sentence reviews or to set tariffs. Transitional provisions allowed Jeremy to apply to the High Court for a review of the whole life term because his sentence increase had, according to the information he had available, been set by a politician and not a judge. In accordance with this provision, Jeremy challenged the whole life sentence. This case was heard and, astonishingly, still upheld by the High Court on the 16th of May 2008. The changes in the law now meant those prisoners with whole-life tariffs will not be eligible for parole hearings ever. This was to include those convicted on a 10-2 majority verdict. This change in the law also included those prisoners who had their original prison sentences changed in 1994 from the original one set by the trial judge to one set by a member of parliament and therefore was applicable to Jeremy. Jeremy's prison term regarding parole has changed several times on each occasion, just as he was due for a review. 25 years minimum with a 17-year first parole review. Whole life, but still with a 17-year review. Whole life, but with a 25-year review. Whole life with no review. It seems strange that not a single other prisoner who had a retrospective whole life order imposed on them were eligible to have any parole hearings. And yet, Jeremy has all the documentation that sets out that he's entitled to them. Although Jeremy hasn't had parole hearings, which he's taken part in, he does have pre-parole hearing interviews with a probation officer. 
These are held every five years by video link. At these structured interviews, Jeremy is told what will happen should parole be granted and the requirements he would need to adhere to are set out. Many things are discussed, including what his accommodation would be, if he would have to go into a hostel at first, and if he would need any help getting a job, as well as what type of employment he would like and what would be suitable. This outrages us, and we consider that it is a breach of Jeremy's human rights on the ground of cruel and unusual punishment. After all, if Jeremy is a whole-life tariff prisoner with no prospect of release on parole, then why discuss accommodation and job prospects? Why every five years offer the hope of freedom in this callous manner? Surely, that must be an act of torture to offer such hope of life outside, when in reality, until and unless Jeremy wins his appeal, he will never be free. In 2012, the European Grand Chamber heard the case for appeal against the whole life tariffs of three prisoners from the UK, Douglas Vintner, Peter Moore and Jeremy, who submitted their applications jointly, although they had individual legal representatives. Douglas Vintner was imprisoned for life in 1996 for murdering fellow railway worker Carl Eden, but was released on licence in August 2005. Within a month of his parole, he met Anne White, mother of four children, whom he was arrested for murdering in 2007, and Vintner pleaded guilty to Anne's murder. Peter Moore was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment in November 1996 for the murders of four men between September and December 1995. Moore was also guilty of committing a total of 39 known sex attacks on men in North Wales and Merseyside over the preceding 20-year period. As Vintner and Moore were in active legal challenges with their whole-life tariff sentences, Jeremy's case was added to their approach to Europe, even though the crimes and sentencing of both Moore and Vintner were starkly different to that of Jeremy's, and they were given whole-life tariffs when it was a current sentence and, unlike Jeremy, were not sentenced retrospectively. Acting for Jeremy was Barry Woods, assisted by Richard Horwell QC and Mr L Hindmarsh. It is the standard practice to relieve the workload on the courts that like cases are submitted and argued together at the European Court. An unfair and biased process. It should be strongly noted that Messrs Vintner and Moore were violent and dangerous individuals, never contested their convictions, and Jeremy is of course an innocent man fighting his wrongful conviction. The only connection with the cases was that they were each challenging the review aspect of the whole life tariff. In January 2012, the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg voted that whole life sentences do not contravene Article 3 of human rights law, even in cases where a sentence was imposed on the prisoner retrospectively and in secret. The case was for prisoners to have a review inserted into their whole life sentences. The prisoners assert that in contrary to the Article 3 of the Human Rights Act, to have whole life sentence imposed without a mechanism for review is inhuman and degrading on the following grounds. Whole life sentencing means permanent exclusion from society in a similar way that its predecessor did. Sentence to death was also a permanent exclusion from society. The appellants argued that to be imprisoned for whole life means withdrawing not only the possibility of atonement but also hope. It is then argued that to live without hope amounts to inhuman and degrading treatment. 
the British government detail in their defence to the Grand Chamber, whole life orders are for the purposes of punishment and deterrence, with not a single reference to redemption, atonement or reintegration, or the possibility of a miscarriage of justice. In 2012, Jeremy's case was put to the European Court of Human Rights with this background and made appeals that the British government were in breach of Articles 3, 5 and 7 of European human rights law. Submissions by Jeremy's lawyers included the sentence which the trial judge would have passed if he had the power to do so, namely a minimum of 25 years, was reviewed by the High Court nearly 22 years afterwards, applying a sentencing regime created 17 years afterwards, which is more severe than the one which prevailed at the time the offences were committed. That can neither be fair nor compatible with the requirements of Article 7. Jeremy's legal team added, It cannot be acceptable for the government to have promised a whole-life prisoner a series of reviews at the stages identified in this letter and then to renege on that promise and withdraw that right to review and consequently the possibility of release. On the 17th of January 2012, the European Court ruled that there had been no breach of Article 3. This was a narrow majority ruling, with three out of the seven judges dissenting. The dissenting judges stated that the appellants were denied the human right to hope, which did amount to inhuman and degrading treatment. And in November 2012, Jeremy Bamber, Vintner and Moore returned to Europe, this time to have their cases heard by the Grand Chamber to see if they could have some hope put into their sentences. The decision came on the 9th of July 2013 with 17 judges in favour of the appellants and ruled overwhelmingly by 16 to 1 there had to be a review mechanism and the possibility of a release in the sentence. They ruled, while states remain free to impose life sentences on adult offenders for especially serious crimes, the imposition of irreducible life sentences could raise an issue under Article 3 of the European Court of Human Rights. For life sentences, there must be both a prospect of release and a possibility of review, as it would be incompatible with human dignity for the state forcefully to deprive a person of his or her freedom without at least providing him or her the chance to someday regain that freedom. Accordingly, Article 3 had to be interpreted as requiring reducibility of life sentences in the sense of a review allowing the domestic authorities to consider whether any changes in the life prisoner are so significant and progress towards rehabilitation has been made in the course of the sentence, meaning that continued detention can no longer be justified on penological grounds. A whole life sentence could not measure up to the standards of Article 3 where the domestic law did not provide for the possibility of such a review. Whole life prisoners were entitled to know at the outset of their sentence what they must do to be considered for release and under what conditions, including when a review of their sentence will take place or may be sought. Therefore, the incompatibility with Article 3 on this ground already arose when the whole life sentence was imposed and not at a later stage of incarceration. The court found that in this respect the current law concerning the prospect of release of whole life prisoners in England and Wales was unclear. Accordingly, the court was not persuaded that at the time of the judgment, the applicant's life sentences could be regarded 
as reducible for the purposes of Article 3. Therefore, the requirements of Article 3 had not been met in relation to any of the three applicants. The UK government was given six months to respond and eventually replied. The government vigorously defended the case and was disappointed the Grand Chamber of the European Court of Human Rights took a different approach to the ruling of the lower chamber, which found in the UK's favour. The judgment does not mean prisoners currently serving a whole life order must now be released or that they must all immediately come before the parole board for consideration of release. But the European Court of Human Rights made clear that there was no prospect of imminent release for the three applicants in the case, Vintner, Moore and Bamba. Whole life tariff prisoners cannot be subject to a prerogative pardon. The only mechanism for release of a prisoner, other than to overturn their conviction on a whole life sentence in England and Wales, is granted in exceptional circumstances where the prisoner is medically incapacitated, with death to occur within three months. This, the government state, does not meet with the decision made by the European Court that a review mechanism should be put in place. No prisoner serving a whole life sentence has ever been released under this or any other power in England and Wales. This exception compounds the view that whole life sentence literally is a death sentence. However, it's now been uncovered that Jeremy Bamba and other prisoners who have been illegally retrospectively sentenced have rights regarding their sentencing, which more recent prisoners do not have. Jeremy is known officially as a transitionary prisoner and as such his sentence is of a wholly different nature to that served by all prisoners on whole life orders imposed after the Criminal Justice Act of 2003 was established. In a judgment made in the case of R.V. Gill in 2011, it was stated that four transitionary prisoners sentenced under the Secretary of State's policy, exceptional progress could be considered on an ongoing basis, basically meaning that Jeremy and other retrospectively sentenced prisoners could apply for their whole life tariff to be reviewed on more than one occasion. Transitional lifers would clearly be disadvantaged if their High Court application was their one and only opportunity to have their progress considered. The Court of Appeals decision in Gill reintroduced the concept of reducibility as an ongoing consideration for transitional lifers as they concluded that where the question of exceptional progress genuinely arises in the context of Schedule 22, but the normal appeal process has been exhausted. The case should be referred to the Criminal Cases Review Commission, which will decide in its turn whether or not to refer the case to this court. 13. Therefore, transitional lifers can apply to the CCRC if they believe that their subsequent progress might warrant a reduction to the minimum term imposed by the High Court under Schedule 22 provisions. Therefore, this creates the avenue of release from prison, which the Grand Chamber had not considered in 2013. Not only could Jeremy be released on compassionate grounds by the Secretary of State, if he can provide evidence that he has made exceptional progress since his whole life sentence was imposed by the High Court under the transitional arrangements, the option remains open to him to apply to the CCRC for consideration of a referral back to the Court of Appeal, which could provide a renewed possibility of release. To date, because of the current legal discussions that are taking place that we believe will lead to his conviction being quashed, this issue has, for the moment, been put on hold. However, it is one that can and will be challenged again at a later date if needed. We asked Jeremy if he would like to add anything to this podcast about his sentence. And this is what he wrote. 
The ruling just confirmed how cruel the authorities are, telling a man he is to die in jail, as hope is what keeps the human spirit alive. Without hope there is nothing. It is only because I'm strong that I can and could see beyond the action of Michael Howard, the Home Secretary at the time who wrote to notify me, in telling me my last breath would be staring at a prison door. If you would like to join our mailing list for the latest updates on the case as they happen, please email us via our website www.jeremy-bamber.co.uk.